just so you know, this podcast contains a bit of strong language. Nothing to worry about. Just letting you know. Hello and welcome back to the Job Interview Podcast. For this episode, we're joined by Amy Brennan. Amy is currently a studio manager for BBC Radio 5 Live, but I met her working at Calrec Audio in Hebden Bridge. We mention it quite a lot, so for those who don't know, Calrec is a broadcast mixing desk manufacturer involved with all kinds of live events, including the Olympic Games. Amy has a background in art and in non-COVID times performs as a DJ, as well as being co-founder of the record label Atata. We spoke about living in and getting out of London, why following your passions is a good career plan, and being creative in a technical role. It's worth warning you that this episode was recorded remotely and we were plagued with connection issues and glitches. Not to mention Amy's cat being determined to sit on the power button on her laptop. I've tried my best to cobble the episode together, but if there's any of this... Uh, oh, are you still there? Oh, no. Or this... Yeah, yeah, to- yeah totally, yeah, totally. And an attitude. I can only apologise. Amy turned the questions on me a couple of times too, so I hope you don't mind getting to know me a little bit better. So, Amy, hello and welcome to the job interview. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, the role you're here to talk about today is studio manager. So, give us a bit of background about that. Well, um, I'm a studio manager at BBC Five Live, and a studio manager is essentially. It's essentially like a sound engineer for radio, really. Well, sound engineer, but I guess, you know, you are managing the radio studio. So you sit behind the mixing desk during a live radio programme and you're sat in the studio with two other people. So a studio director and then the editor of the programme that's on air at the time. So it's a mixture of, you know, using sound skills, but then also communication skills because you're working in a live broadcast environment. So it's a lot of teamwork and communicating with the production team about what they want, what's coming next. So, you know, you're sat there, there's presenters that are on on the other side of the glass in the second part of the studio where all the mics are and you're following a script um, and you're playing in lots of clips and audio and fading up callers and lots of different contributors on different OS's. So it's very fast paced and very kind of manic uh, at times. Studio manager in the sense that I've usually heard it is like manager of a recording studio and that's sort of where you're in charge of making sure that the gear's up to date and yeah and sort of equipping the studio and making sure that people are happy sort of on a top level but it sounds like yours is a lot more hands-on and like you say you're in there with the script and stuff so I think like that's quite interesting already because I think it's not something that from the title alone I don't think you'd realize it was so hands-on yeah the thing is I think studio manager at a station like five live for example would be very different to studio manager at BBC Radio 4, for example, because Radio 4, it's a lot more planned. It's it's really, it's a lot more slow paced. So generally you kind of know what's going to happen and what's going to be expected of you in the time that you're on air. Um, whereas Five Live, it's very, very free flowing and you need to be able to react very quickly, you know, so it's very fast paced. There's, there's no music or anything to play in. 
you know, if a caller drops off or, you know, something unexpected happens, it's like, uh, right, what we're going to do now? You know, plans are always changing. So, yeah, studio manager, it's a bit of a weird term, really. Um, I never really knew what it was before. I only found out like a year maybe before I worked there that that was what it was called. Because it's not called that for, like, television either. Like, in the BBC, if you do, if you work, like, on Calrec Desk, for example... Um, you'd be called sound supervisor if you were sure. like mixing the audio for television. So that and that's yeah. like a similar role. I mean, there are different elements to it, but it's essentially like the TV version of the radio version. Sure. So you've said you didn't even know that this role existed, sort of in that capacity, until like reasonably recently before you started doing it. So I was going to say, what was your dream job growing up? But I'm guessing by that it wasn't studio manager then. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up wanting to do something quite arty, really, because I, I mean, I went I went to art school for uni. Sure. Um, so I've always been quite creative. And then my interest in like radio stuff, really, that came through. So I went to art school and I started like DJing when I was at uni in London. And then just getting really into like music and records and I really liked you know listening to podcasts and radios and like pirate radio stations and lots of my friends were into doing like you know mixes for radio shows and stuff and I just started doing stuff like that and getting involved with like little underground radio stations yeah and through just like kind of sound stuff really I suppose but you know I, I, I love my job now I think it's amazing but there are elements of like creativity that I miss perhaps because I suppose there are elements of it that, that you can be creative in because when we're not like on air live in the studio, we do other things like um, do like podcast editing and like audio editing or make like montages for production teams. So say there's like an anniversary of a band or something and they, they'll be like, oh, can you make me like a minute mix with all these tracks in? Stuff like that. So stuff like that's really fun because you think, oh, yeah, and you make it sound really great and, you know, you mix it all together and that that's quite fun. But when, you know, there are elements of it that are creative, but it's quite, I guess it's quite like, you know, it's quite techie, really. Yeah, well, um, I think the the thing that I find so interesting about you and kind of what you're doing now is because we actually met each other at Calrec Audio in Hebden Bridge. Yeah. Uh, so I was there on my one year work placement for uni and you were working there just after uni, I'm guessing, or was it a um, bit after uni? Yeah, quite a bit after uni. It was like okay. a couple of years at least. I mean, I left uni and just had a load of bar jobs for a few years and yeah. didn't really do anything particularly <laughs> useful. <laughs> but like, but that's what's so interesting because you were, uh, I've got it written down, technical sales coordinator at Calrec. And obviously... In this sort of industry, if you are a female or or just generally non-male, you're kind of in the minority. So when I heard that there was a woman doing the technical sales coordinator job, I kind of clocked you. And then someone mentioned sort of in passing that you'd done like an art degree. And I just thought that was so cool because that you kind of from school, you're sort of told you need to do the right A-levels or even the right GCSEs. And like I did my GCSEs. No one has ever asked what GCSEs I did. I don't think anyone cares. No. But like you've got to do the right GCSEs, then you've got to do the right A levels, and you've got to do the right degree, and then you can get the job you want. So I always find it really cool. Like you were doing a really technical job, but you'd done an art degree. And like you said something to me in the pub about, oh, well, just do what you want to do. And like they can teach you the technical skills for a job, but they can't teach you how to have like a cool personality. 
yeah so I, I just think that's super cool that, and like now you're in also a really technical role but you're not doing it sort of at the sacrifice of those creative passions that you have yeah I mean I think everybody has their own weird way of getting to places you know it always seems like people take you know little like round roundabout like backwards ways to get into I mean obviously there are people that have the standard steps to get where they want to go but I don't know it's more fun to take a weird route you know you just never know where you're gonna go and like Calrec as well for me I think I always saw that as a little bit of a stepping stone you know it was great because at that time I was really you know I mean to be honest it was quite random how, how how I found out about it because I was living in London I'd graduated and I was like DJing quite a lot but like I said I was just working in bars and stuff not really knowing kind of how I was going to get a good proper job that like paid you know a fairly decent wage um and I was doing like lots of radio stuff on the side of my DJing and stuff then got really really sick of London really really ground down and I was just like do you know what I want to move back up north but I don't want to move back to where I'm from I've always really liked Tebden Bridge so I just made a random decision I just thought do you know what I'm just gonna wing it I'm gonna move Tebden Bridge see what happens get a job in a pub because I didn't know anybody move Tebden Bridge got a job in a pub and then I used to walk past Nutcliffe Mill which is Calrec every day on my way home and this was like I'd only lived here like a month maybe I was like what is that place because it's not obvious from outside, is it, like the sign or anything? And then I, I looked up on my computer and I was just like, no way do they make mixing desks for broadcast. And then I was just like, I'm going to get a job there. And then I just made it my like mission to get a job there. And then I did. <laughs> so that's even crazier than what I thought, because obviously you do a degree and then you've just kind of followed what you want to do. So like you said, you thought, oh, I want to live in Hebden Bridge. I'll get a job in a pub so that I can live in Hebden Bridge. And mm. then it was just complete coincidence that Calrec was there. Well, that's what I mean, and that's what I always say to people. I think you've got to follow what you want to do. It's like, I remember when I discovered Hebden Bridge when I was at college, because I grew up my teenage years in Huddersfield, and I went to Greenhead sure. College. And some of my friends that I met there, a couple of them were like from Hebden Bridge. Um, so I hung around here a bit like when I was at Greenhead. And I remember just coming here and thinking, oh, you know, when you just feel really at home somewhere. Yeah. And I always, all the years I was in London, I always used to say to myself, God, I could see myself living in Hebden Bridge one day. But I never right, really thought that I'd actually do it because I was in that London bubble then and just sure, thought yeah. I'd never leave London kind of thing. <laughs> but it just shows that it's like that meant something that I was drawn to this place. And then. I moved here and just so many things just started to fall into place. Yeah. And it's been like three and a half years now. So I think that's like the hardest thing. And that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to address in this podcast. You know, I'm about to graduate. So I'll be coming to the end of my formal education. And all the way through, they kind of have to tell you that you have to have a plan because they can't rely on everyone being as sort of self-motivated as you clearly are so like for me if I was aiming to get a job at the BBC I would think I'd have to do that by getting a graduate scheme now and then going straight into it and working my way up but obviously you you kind of approached it a completely different way and you did the degree you wanted to do and then yeah like you said you were just drawn to Hebden Bridge so that was what drew you rather than being like career focused 
Yeah, totally. Because when you come out of uni, it's so hard to know what you want to yeah. do. Like, I felt lost when I came out of uni. I think most people do for like the first year because, you know, you've been living in this really great bubble of like your subject. And, yeah. you know, yeah, you might have money worries a bit and you're always skint, but you know that you've got your grant. You know, it's kind of all packaged up in a way, isn't it? And then you come out of uni and you're like, uh, okay. So some people move home. I didn't want to move home because I couldn't hack going back home. So then yeah. that's why I went, when I was still in London, I went straight into just bar work because that's what I'd done whilst I was at uni. So I could carry on doing that. And it was like, I didn't have to do training or anything. It was just like quick money, fast money. I could still do my DJing. I could still, you know, I could fit around other stuff. But it just wore me down after a while. But I think you need that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I didn't go into a really serious job straight away after uni. Because you've got your whole life to, like, have a, a serious yeah. job. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of the thing I'm at now, because in November this year, well, November last year, they were saying, if you want to get on a graduate scheme, you have to apply for it now. And I was just like, I've not even done my degree. I don't want to be committing to more and like you say it's like training and qualifications and all that sort of stuff and I kind of just want to go out and do something hands-on now like I've done a lot of reading books and staring at my computer like I'd quite like to and the and the thing is as well like those clearly are the things that have helped you get where you are now because the people at Calrec recognized that you had the right core skills that they could just teach you the technical aspects of the job yeah whereas if you were like fresh out of uni you maybe wouldn't have had that experience and you wouldn't have been as experienced to sort of pick up the other stuff if that makes sense you can teach you know technical skills and information you, you can learn that do you know what I mean you can't teach someone an attitude. They either got it or they don't. Yeah. Well, and even having the confidence to speculatively approach a company like that or the fact that you saw Calrex headquarters and just thought, I'm going to work there. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really kind of arsehole of me in a way. <laughs> it's like overconfident. But you know when you're just like determined? Yeah, I think it's great. I was like, well, it must be like a fairly, you know, local company right by my house. <laughs> How hard can it be? To be fair, I did go through quite a rigorous interview thing and I didn't think I'd get it because it was such a stab in the dark. It was such a stab in the dark. But the BBC thing, like, you know, you're talking about graduate schemes and stuff. Yeah. How I got that was basically when I was working at Calrec, I saw this uh, mentoring scheme advertised for women working in broadcast. So it's called it's called Rise. Yeah. Um it's based down in London and I approached my then boss about whether I could do it through through work and they'd like support me and they they agreed and that was really really great. And it was they were basically so you got given a mentor so um someone that's working within the broadcast industry that's like really high up like a senior manager. And I got this lady called Nikki, who was absolutely lovely. Um, one of the like head sales managers for Clearcom. Yeah. So you have like meetings with them, but then you also have meetings with all the other mentees. So you get to and you do like group sessions and you know all sorts of those kind of things like um, working groups and coming up with ideas about different things. And then we did like presentations and stuff like that. And really, it's just a, a massive networking thing, really. Um, 
the women working in broadcast and there there was um, a lady who also at the time was working for BBC as a multi-skilled technical operator but in in television for BBC News so she because we got chatting because she operated Calrite desks so we ended up chatting a lot about that and then you know one day she was just we were talking about like careers and stuff and I was just saying oh yeah you know ultimately I'd really like to work in radio because that's really what my passion is and she was like oh cool well I might be able to put you in touch with a few people if, if you're interested and I said yeah that would be amazing and um yeah, she just put me in touch with someone who worked at Five Live and then I went and did a few, like, shadowing days, just random days. And at the time, they weren't they weren't looking for people and they were saying, you know, it's quite hard because when they do look for people generally, they look internally before they go and advertise externally. BBC, on the whole, they normally recruit internally before they go external. Yeah, so then that happened. I went for a few shadowing days and just thought, wow, this is great, but never thought that I'd, you know, I'd just think, well, it's probably a bit of a fat chance that I'll be able to get to apply. But then a few months later, someone emailed me and said, oh, we've actually started recruiting externally. And do you want to come and have another look at the studios? So, yeah. So it was really through that mentoring scheme. So it's stuff like that, you know, all I had to do was apply and it wasn't a gruelling application process. It's just like, you know, why do you want to be on the course kind of thing? But it's totally free. And yeah, just stuff like that where you get to like meet more people because all these people that you meet, you just never know what... You might meet one person in your job and then three years later you might meet them again and they'll go, oh yeah, I know something about... Or I know such and such. They might be able to help you out with something. You know, you never know where things might lead to. Yeah, I think it's a really positive way to come into that. Like you've said, the job is quite hectic and challenging. Mm. But to come into it from a mentoring sort of angle, that's a really positive way to do it. It's not like they're trying to scare you off and be really inaccessible and like, oh, if you haven't used these desks before, you're never going to know. They're going, oh, yeah, come in, try the stuff out. And they're trying to sort of encourage people in rather than saying, if you don't know it already, we're not going to teach you, which, again, is sort of that feels like coming out of uni, how it's going to be that everyone's like, oh, if you haven't learned it already your problem oh yeah well no I mean also like if you've used a really simple mixing desk it's all transferable skills you know yeah also if you know your way vaguely around a calibrate desk you'd be absolutely fine on the radio desk because they're nowhere near as complicated (laughs) (laughs) so talking about transferable skills you know as we've said a couple of times now like you've obviously managed to impress recruiters even if you don't have on paper the sort of qualifications that they might be after you've obviously been able to demonstrate the skills in other ways so what qualities about you do you think make you so good at doing what is quite a challenging role uh, oh god <laughs> well uh i think it's just a general i say confidence because obviously it's hard to just be confident all the time but I guess you, you've kind yeah. of, there's an element of like faking confidence a little bit um, when you really want something. And also just being really good at communicating with people, being very like direct, being able to answer points like clearly and concisely. You know, a thing that I think is really important in my job is being able to be kind of happy at work, no matter how you're feeling. What else? Yeah, it's a really hard question. 
Yeah, while you're thinking, something I've sort of picked up on is you sort of said how you were interested in the like pirate radio stations when you're at uni, mm. and that's the kind of thing that um, some people might think. Oh, if I'm focusing on my qualifications or my career. I can't be faffing around doing my DJing or like helping mates out on pirate radio. But that actually, as it turns out, has been apparently quite beneficial to what you've ended up doing. So it just kind of shows that having external interests is really important. Like you can't just be narrow minded about your one goal. No, because they all tie into one another, you know, and if you're if you're passionate about something, you do it. And all those things count, you know. I don't think I would have got the job at the BBC. Well, even the job at Calwreck, I don't think... I think the key to a good interview, right, is having lots of good real-life examples of when you've done stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't... You know, when you do those interviews and they say, can you tell me a time when you've worked as a team? Or can you tell me a time when you've where there's been a problem and you've been able to react quickly. Stuff like that, it can be from anything. It doesn't have to be from something that's officially like a career job. You know, it could be like, oh, when I was DJing in a club or at my friend's party, this went wrong and this was how I resolved it. You know, you can apply anything to those kind of scenarios. And in a way, that's even more impressive because if you say, you know, when I was volunteering for this wildlife charity and then talk about it in that context like that's great but also if you're doing it as a job you're expected to do that but if you're saying like you were DJing at a party and something went wrong and you fixed it that's you kind of going above and beyond because if you're at a party you could have just gone I'll sack this I'll put on Spotify yeah yeah so if you're kind of showing that you're passionate enough about it that you'll do it even when it's not in a work capacity they want to know that you care about it not just when you're sort of clocked in on the nine to five yeah totally and any sort of extracurricular well extracurricular I guess is a bit (laughs) of a a weird word to use but you know recreational stuff that you love doing and that you eventually would want to do as your job just keep doing it and you will eventually do that as your job you know I was just going to say a lot of people that I've met at the BBC working in radio a lot of them started off in like hospital radio community radio you know obviously we've all come from different angles but a lot of people yeah start doing something kind of more DIY I suppose and even like because obviously the the line there you can kind of hospital radio or community radio to national radio that kind of tracks but um I mean even the fact that you did an art degree and then you're saying that there are creative aspects in your job now Mm. Like, it doesn't immediately, you wouldn't think, oh, she's doing an art degree so that she can work at the BBC. But obviously, the creative thinking that you, like, worked on while you were doing that degree probably makes you a lot better at the job that you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, every degree has transferable skills to just any job. You know, it just teaches you to reason and to form arguments and to be able to communicate well and and research things do you know what I mean Um, yeah you know I'm about to finish a four-year music technology degree yeah and my parents I mean by the time I did the degree my parents were kind of like whatever that's what she's doing but I remember when I 
was looking to take music technology as well as music for my A-levels, my parents were a bit kind of like, yeah, but what are you going to do with that? And I, I think it's really sad when people have a degree that they want to do because they're passionate about it and whoever in their life, like their parents or their teachers or career advisor or whatever, kind of convinces them not to do it because there are so many people in your position who have done a degree that they're passionate about and then that passion is transferable to get a good career. Like you don't have to study maths or accountancy or whatever to get a respectable job. And like, do you really need a respectable job anyway, really? Yeah, no, totally. Like what is respectable? Well, exactly. I mean, yeah, most people don't even go into something to do with what they studied. Yeah. Some people do, but a lot of people don't, you know. The stage manager of the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury did a marine biology degree. Yeah, well, there you go. So, And that's what I was talking about at the beginning, you know. Everyone has these, like, roundabout ways that they get to where they are in their career, you know. Yeah. Do you know what you'd like to do? I'm not sure, because working at CalRec, like, that was my placement year, and that's probably been the best part about my degree, because I just learned so much about, like, real life. So I guess... Part of me thinks I'd like to do something like that, but I think that's partly just because that's what I've already done. Mm. So podcasting is something I'm interested in. Like I listen to so many podcasts Mm. and that's partly why I've set this up because I'm like, I have the fundamental audio knowledge to do it. But then it's like, would I want to be the host? Not necessarily like listening to my own voice editing this podcast is like killing me oh like I d- you seem to get used to it though <laughs> how many times can someone say you know or sort oh, no, I've of probably and said I'm, I'm there, like... about a million times <laughs> i hope you de-um me yeah but i'm there like <laughs> editing it out and i'm like is this how i talk to people yeah like so podcasting is something and obviously podcasting is like having a bit of a moment So I'd be interested in working in that. But at the same time, at the moment, I'm like, I might just go and work at the National Trust and like do something really outdoorsy. Yeah. I'm just I'm scared of having a job where I get home at the end of the day and I'm not like physically tired, which I like that's such a privileged thing to say. But like my dad has a really hands on job and he just he sleeps so well at night because he's been working with his hands all day. And I think that's something that I, like, aspire to. And at the moment, I don't have it. I guess there's, like, the physical exhaustion and then you have mental exhaustion as well. Yeah. I get a mental exhaustion from my job. But not yeah, physical I bet, exhaustion I bet you do. because I'm, like, sat down all day, which I hate because I like like being really active as well. But, you know, you can remedy it. I mean, I go when the gyms aren't bloody closed like they are at the moment. <laughs> I go to the gym. All You know, I absolutely yeah. love the gym. So... You know, I sit down all day on my job, but then I just go and absolutely hammer the gym for an hour on my way home from work. Yeah. So there's ways that you can remedy that, you know, if you do have to sit down all day. Like, it's sort of grass is greener on the other side. Like, you know, I've said it about a million times now, but I'm about to finish this degree. So I'm thinking, right, what's the opposite of my degree that I can go and do as a job? But then when I was doing that job, I'd probably be thinking, right, what's the opposite of this? And like you say, you kind of zigzag until you find something in the middle Mm -hmm. that kind of keeps you happy all the time. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think when you come out of uni, it's nice to just give yourself a little bit of space, kind of. Yeah. I think you need a bit of space to just readjust your life because it's such a massive change when you come out of uni. You you kind of, you know, you're just like a fish out of water. You're like, 
the world <laughs> and it's all like really overwhelming and you think yeah. you'll be fine and you will be fine but the first year is tough I'm not gonna lie I think everybody finds it tough yeah because there's just so much kind of choice and then yeah. also like a little bit of pressure as well and like the money element you know there's part of me that that thought oh you know maybe I should have gone home for a bit because I might have been able to kind of step back and assess things a bit without having to be like oh god I'm living in London and I don't have any money and I've got loads of rent to pay and I'm yeah. working like two bar jobs to like scrape money together but then you yeah. know I don't have any regrets because I had a great time and sometimes you've got to like hit the bottom of the barrel to like come back up again do you know what I mean yeah um it sounds like you sort of timed it right because for a lot of people going to London is like the dream and it's like so romanticized whereas for me I don't think I could hack it because I'm from like quite a rural place mm. so even just Huddersfield for me is like the big city <laughs> so yeah but like you know a lot of people are kind of London's the end game but because you studied in London you kind of got that out of your system mm. and then you could kind of think clearly and go right having lived in London do I want to stay in London or is there somewhere else I want to go yeah and like Hebden Bridge is like it's an interesting example because when I found out I'd got that placement I was kind of telling people and they hadn't heard of Calrec obviously but they were going oh my gosh Hebden Bridge and like everyone I knew had like a weird fact they knew about Hebden Bridge or like oh did you know this person's from Hebden Bridge everyone has a story don't they about Hebden <laughs> yeah. Bridge yeah Hebden Bridge is it's a cool place like I don't think I could have lived there but like working there for a year like there's always something weird going on and like my friends who did live there they had a guy who used to busk outside their window just with like bongo drums and like nothing else and he'd just play bongo drums all day outside their window yeah sounds about um, right there's, there's some proper characters that's for sure yeah but then, like, some people go to London sort of looking to get that sort of taste of the bazaar because where you're from, you always think, oh, no one here is, like, interesting. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I went to London because I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I still yeah. love London now. You know, it's an amazing city. It's yeah. just unsustainable. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want to live on your own, if you want to save a little bit of money every month, it's just... You can't do those things in London. Yeah. You spend everything you earn. And I don't know, like, I grew up somewhere really rural as well. And I just think yeah. after a while, the busyness, like, the hecticness of it just grinds you down. For the first yeah. five years, it was amazing. Yeah. And then the last couple of years, it was just starting to just wear me down little by little. But that's what I mean, like, at least you've done it that way round, so you're not sitting at your desk, like, daydreaming, like, oh, what if I went to the big city to find my fortune? Like, you've kind of done that, and now you know you can go there for, like, a long weekend or something, but you're not, like, yearning for it because you've already done it. Yeah. And, I, like, I was always told when I was sort of getting into music technology, they were like, you're going to have to move to London eventually because that's where all the jobs are. Mm. But obviously... Like, you're working for the BBC, which is pretty massive in this industry, and you're doing it from... Is it Manchester or Salford? Yeah, Salford Keys, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, there are more... It depends, really. Like, mm. I think a lot of places are moving away from London. Like, yeah. obviously, now we've got Media City, so there's so many, yeah. like, techie jobs there because you've got BBC and then there's Doc 10 and ITV, and then Channel 4 moving to Leeds as well. So there yeah. are places, for sure. But then a lot of like the really cool stuff happens in London 
yeah. certainly to do with the BBC. But because I've lived in London, I'm just kind of like, it would really have to be like my dream job to want to kind of sacrifice the kind of nice life that I've got up north. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I think when you move out of London, you <laughs> your quality of life kind of goes up quite a bit because you can like yeah. afford to rent a whole house instead of a room and <laughs> yeah. you know so yeah it's a it's a balancing act for sure. sure I think it's a good position to be in though to know like what you value and like you say it would have to be something pretty special for you to pack up and move but it's kind of good to know that like yeah definitely it's not like a kind of if I hadn't done it I'd, I mean if I hadn't done it I'd probably be in London now because yeah I'd probably want to do it at some point you know yeah exactly. because London is just so exciting all big cities are there's just so much going on but I think they just have their they have their moment you know it really suits you and you're really kind of like involved with it but for me it's unsustainable yeah some people can do it forever but I think like you say yourself you know if you if you grew up somewhere really rural you end up wanting not always not everybody but I think a lot of people end up kind of wanting something a little bit more aligned with how they grew up so I I just really miss like open space in the countryside and being able to go on big walks just missed that so much like greenery everywhere and so that's why I'm just much happier to be honest like now living in Hebden Bridge still and going to Manchester every day that's actually quite nice because it's like best of both worlds yeah absolutely so with the job you're doing currently what would you say is like the best thing about it like what gets you up in the morning to go and do it oh just the adrenaline of it it's yeah. great, you know, sitting there and like when my heart starts going, you know, <laughs> being in a live broadcast environment, there's that pressure, you know, yeah. the pressure of like, okay, it's happening and you've got to nail it, yeah. you know, and sometimes you don't nail it and sometimes stuff goes wrong, but yeah. it's so fast paced, everything that it's like, it's gone within an instant. Yeah. So it's just like next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. And I'm I'm someone that's it's not like I get bored easily because I feel like I've got a pretty good like imagination. Yeah. But in terms of like work stuff, I like to be always doing stuff and yeah. there's just never a dull moment doing what I do. Yeah. It's just when you're on air, it's just constant and it's great. So yeah, it's really exciting. And you know, being able to like be paid to listen to the radio is pretty great. Yeah, but it's good that that's like for you, that's the best thing because for a lot of people, that would be like their worst nightmare is having stuff going wrong and like all the spontaneity. But if that's what kind of gets you going, you're probably really suited to that job then. Yeah, totally. It's definitely like an adrenaline rush, for sure. I mean, it becomes the norm after a while, totally. But, you know, where it all starts to get really hectic and you're like, ah, it's, Yeah. yeah, it's great. I love it. Have you met, like, famous people while you're doing it? Um, Well, I mean, they're famous if you're interested in BBC presenters, I suppose. But, well, (laughs) I've I've met met lots of famous sport people. This is, like, back in the day when people could actually come into studios because at the moment guests aren't allowed, so they're always on, like, Zoom or whatever or Skype. Yeah. How's that changed working if you haven't got people in reach so that you can be like, stop playing with the microphone or whatever? Has it affected your job much? Oh, it makes it more stressful. Yeah, yeah I mean, people drop off a lot more because obviously yeah. we're like relying on like FaceTimes and Skypes. You know, a lot of presenters have carried on coming in. Like if they're employed by the BBC and they're a regular mm. presenter, a lot of people have chosen to carry on coming in if they can. Yeah, it makes but sense. But yeah, all guests are like remote. 
So yeah, it's just made stuff really stressful. You know, we dream mm. of the days when guests can come back in. One of the things I was considering for this, because obviously we're doing this remotely now, and you kind of think, as long as you've got something interesting to say, people's ears will tune out, whatever. Mm. But like I was listening to Radio 4 and they were speaking to a politician and she literally just dropped off in the middle of saying something quite important. And they were just like, right, well, she's gone onto the next thing and I just, that would never happen in person unless someone like stormed out so it must be quite disappointing yeah definitely I mean sometimes we try and get people back well often do try and get people back <laughs> yeah. and that's when all chaos ensues in the studio because it's like oh quick right let's go to something else uh right go to that oh we can go to this tape quickly put that tape and desperately try and get the caller back you know and it's yeah. just you can Im- imagine what it's like but it all sounds fine to the listener but it's just yeah, all yeah, chaos ensuing behind the scenes but i think that's like something when i was at calrec a couple of times when we were in the pub after work someone who was like a support engineer would get a call and it'd be like hi it's love island all the desks have gone down and you'd think if you were watching that you'd just kind of go oh technical problem but there are people like running around absolutely panicking yeah totally. so, but that's like as a listener you're just kind of they're like oh okay that's i'll go and make a brew and it'll come back yeah but if it's like your job shit is hitting the fan at that point yeah yeah but it's all fun and games the, the thing i always say to myself because especially when you first start doing my job when you make your first few mistakes you're always like oh no you know you can't you can't you literally cannot stop thinking about it for weeks yeah. but now I'm just like because you see you're so used to making mistakes yeah. you know I'm not saying I make mistakes all the time don't make that many mistakes <laughs> I do sometimes but yeah you don't berate yourself in the same way yeah but yeah what I always say to myself is you know it's radio it's meant to be fun nobody died no. it's not like if you were like a surgeon and you messed yeah. something up you know so People get very wrapped up in it sometimes and it's like you've got to be able to kind of step back and go, it's radio or it's telly, you know, yeah. it's fun. It's not that serious. Yeah, it's good that you can like keep it in perspective. Yeah, I think you have to. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest misconception about working in this industry or maybe your job specifically? Like what do you think would surprise people? Well... I would say that there's a lot more women on my team than you'd expect. That's something, whenever I listen to the radio or podcasts, when they're like doing the credits at the end, there are always at least a couple of women and sometimes it's all women. But that still surprises me. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot of female names because you kind of think that they're not there. Yeah. I mean, it was great. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing the, you know, it was the Australian Open tennis recently. Um, and I did the women's, I was mixing the women's final for that. And I was in the studio and it was all three of us in the studio. So studio manager, studio director and editor, all women, yeah. women's tennis final and female presenter. So I was just like, yes. <laughs> Equality completed. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. <laughs> go and I go love... home, lads. Jobs are good. And yeah, it's like, and, and I love that as well. When, uh, like I've done, I've done football before, like Five Live Sport, where it's been all women yeah. in the studio. And you just think, this is great, you know, football. And it's all such a kind of stereotypical lads yeah. thing. Well, and 
presumably nothing went wrong and like you weren't sitting there going oh I like his shorts and no, yeah, like no, that. Like, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you delivered a completely professional broadcast yeah, which totally. just proves that it doesn't need to be blokes for no. it to be good so no obviously having visibility of women in roles like that is really important because it inspires people to go into those roles but also like the invisibility of going oh I listened to something really great and then going oh wow and it was all women like it doesn't need to be a fanfare anymore like it should just be like oh yeah it was a load of women and it was great just the same as any other team yeah yeah totally how do you measure success do you think you're successful now or are you still aiming for success in the future well I guess success is like a little bit of an invisible entity in a way because if you're always chasing success then you're never really happy so Mm. I think you have to be able to appreciate what you have in the now but obviously still have dreams and still have little goals that you're working towards so you know I feel like I'm successful already because you know I've got a job that I really enjoy I've got a really you know nice house that I like living in I have nice friends you know that's success in a way but then well it definitely is success but then there are other things in my life that I'd like to do and that I'd like to achieve so yeah I think is success how you're viewed as other people or is it just a measure of happiness I don't know I feel like you can try and chase this idea of success your whole life. Yeah. And then you get to the end of your life and you're like, oh, what was that thing that I was going for? And then then you look back and think, oh, well, I was always chasing this kind of invisible thing. But because I was so focused on chasing this invisible thing, I didn't actually give myself the chance to just enjoy the journey. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I I feel that's something I've learned massively you know especially in my 20s is like yeah not to always be looking for the next thing yeah I think I found when I was younger especially like maybe in my late teens I'd always be kind of looking to the next thing yeah and I think there gets a point where you just think I should probably stop doing that because otherwise my life's literally going to like flash before my eyes yeah I think the good thing about the job you're doing now is like it's quite compartmentalized so you'll have a show and like you said it's really like adrenaline and hectic but if you get to the end of that show and nothing major has gone wrong which it doesn't sound like it does then you've been successful in that and then so you kind of have that you can go home thinking, oh, yeah, that was a successful show. Like, you're kind of being successful every day or you're doing your job successfully every day. Yeah, totally. I mean, in terms of success and, like, the idea of success, I mean, yeah, I guess because I DJ and do all that, yeah. which is all sort of slowed down at the moment with COVID Absolutely. and whatnot and there not being yeah. any nightclubs anymore. But that, for me, is something, you know, that I want to... I still don't feel like I've quite got to where I want to be with that yeah so that's like something that's the thing that I'm like working towards but it's not like I don't see myself as successful unless I get there it's just yeah. a goal but it's a, it's a good goal to have because it again it's something you're passionate about it's not like your goal is to move into a bigger house or anything like that it's to do more of something that you're passionate about so that's that's sort of a great goal to have because if you achieve it it'll just make you happy yeah Totally. And and it, and the the process isn't unpleasant either. It's not like you're grafting away to get more money to do something else. Like you're saying to be successful, I I want to do more of something that I enjoy. Just carry so on doing great. something yeah. that I enjoy, and then hopefully one day it'll just happen from like hard work and practice. 
Yeah. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. So Yeah. So all that's left for me to say really is thank you so much for coming on the job interview podcast. You've been someone like from when I met you a couple of years ago now. I wanted to pick your brains and it's been great to be able to do it in a way that I can share it with other people as well because I'm sure people find your story really interesting if not inspiring. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. It's been really fun. I feel like I feel like I've kind of gone on massive tangents when I've been talking about stuff. So hopefully people find it interesting. Cool. It was at this point that Amy's laptop decided to go solo and my side of the recording was lost. Rest assured that I thanked Amy profusely for her time and I recommended her a brand of kombucha because small talk isn't really my speciality. Thanks again to Amy and to everyone who made it this far despite the audio issues. I also want to properly name the stage manager of the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury. She did a marine biology degree and I mentioned her earlier. She's called Emma Reynolds-Taylor. She's awesome, her story is awesome, and you should definitely check her out. Thank you so much for listening to The Job Interview. See you next time.